0: Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, and today I went with my co-host, Frank Padre to the famous Friars Club, where we interviewed one of the great character actors of his generation, Danny Aiello. He was in Moonstruck, Radio Days, Oscar-nominated for Do the Right Thing. He played Jack Ruby, and uh, for some reason, he kept punching me. An entertaining, raw, brutally honest interview. Listen for yourself. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast, and on today's show, we have one of my favorite actors, a man who's been in The Godfather, uh, "Do the Right Thing," and uh, Moonstruck. Moonstruck.
1: Once upon a time in America. The list goes on.
0: It's, Academy Awards. Yes. Do the right. You
2: mentioned Godfather. Well, Godfather. I was Godfather in it for two minutes. Godfather, Godfather, two. Godfather Two. Yes. Godfather Two. Two minutes. Oh, but a am memorable. I, two I always minutes. wanted to ask you this question, Frank. This is the first time yes. I met you, but Godfrey, uh-huh. how many octaves have you got? <laughs> You have a level of voice. I don't know if I should start at that level. Can I start beneath that? Because I'll be screaming like a son of a bitch. I... <laughs> but I love you. That's you, baby. Anyway, continue on. Uh, the The resume is not necessary.
0: Now, right? now, what um, do you ever pray in church for forgiveness for making Hudson Hawk? <laughs> You know,
2: that's an interesting comedian. You didn't get this. He goes comedians. right for the drug dealer. Let killer. me tell you what Hudson Hawk has done. It yes. is one of the biggest cult movies ever on television. Do you know that? No. It was ahead of its time. Let me tell you, I'm raw footage. I'm with Brian Gumbel. We're in Italy, in Rome. And he asked me this question, similar to yours. Danny, what do you think of this picture? I said, Brian, I don't know. He said, is it a comedy? I said, if it is, I have no idea. I, I said, I have never... I haven't been able to decide in my own mind, and this is God's truth. I told Brian. However, it was ahead of its time. Uh, you know, Sandra Bernhardt was in it. Uh, Richard Grant. There were some wonderful David people Caruso. in the movie. David Caruso, yeah. who's hey. not the greatest talent in the world, but but uh, Les Moonves loves him. He's a poser. David da- <laughs> Hey,
0: did I ever you say your name in a- <laughs> the introduction? No, Caruso. you didn't.
2: David Caruso. Well,
0: anyway, it's <laughs> Danny <laughs> Ayella. <laughs> David Caruso's got an
2: Italian <laughs> name, and he poses. That's all. <laughs> Is he a Paul yeah. <laughs> He's got the glasses that I established That in established in Ventura. I'm he's sorry I brought me. him up. No, I love him. He's a good guy. He's, he's not not an actor, but he's a good
1: guy. He's a <laughs> oh. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad we said who we're talking to.
0: Yes, no. <laughs> yes. Danny <Stryful>. Aiello. Oh, God. <laughs> Welcome, Danny. Welcome. I'm going to get in
2: trouble here. I know that. <laughs> Well, well, that's what you want, isn't us, it? Tell us,
0: yes. Yes, go ahead. Tell us some people you hate in that business, please. Well,
2: people that I don't like, I wouldn't say hate, uh, is a guy <laughs> like Modesto Scorsese, a guy like uh, Joe <laughs> <Kashi>. <laughs> I have difficulty with those people because what? I never did a Monte Scorsese movie. No. I was up for eight of them. Now, keep in mind, when he was doing some of his hottest things, I was one of the hottest actors in the country at the time. I was on stage doing Knockout. So it was always curious to me why I wasn't in any of his movies. I know why in my own mind. And if I was to state it to anyone else, they would say, ah, that's sour grapes. So one day I went over to him and I said, someone asked me, we were in Cannes. And a reporter said to me, Mr. Aiello. How come you never worked with Maris Corsese? I said, maybe you should ask him that question. He said, well, I did. And I said, what did he say? He said, he didn't feel that you were right for what he was doing. And I looked at the guy and I said, what, was I too tall? (laughs) (laughs) What is he, five foot tall? I'm six foot three. So it went over big, even in cans, so to speak. (laughs) But that's the only conversation I have about him. Uh, he's a great director, as you well know, so I resented the fact I never worked with him because he was, he, he was doing strokes that were quite brilliant in many of his movies. And certainly I thought that I, I should have been in those movies. Well, never say never, Dan. No, it's over. What okay. he did was, I did another movie. It's interesting. Eight movies I was up for, he never saw me. Now, I set up a deal with Raging Bull, Bobby De Niro and I. I was submitted the script to him. It was mm-hmm. given to me by someone else to give to him. Bobby agreed to do it. So Bobby always felt somewhat obligated to give me a part in that movie. Now, keep in mind, I didn't need a part. I didn't need a part in the movie because I was, at the time, I was quite hot. They called me up. This is the only time Marty called me up. Bobby was sitting to his right. They're both looking at me and I'm curious why they gave me a meeting in an office. Bobby's my friend. He's like a brother to me mm-hmm. at the time. And Marty says, Daniel, we're gonna offer you a role. There are no lines, but you threw out the movie. I said to him, you know, I thought I was more advanced in my business to accept such a role. I got up, very little talk, and I said, Thank you, and I left. And that was when our the animosity between us had begun. And just the other day, Brian Hammer, one of the great still photographers who does all of Woody's mm-hmm. movies, and he's one of my dearest friends. And I said to him the other day, why do you think Marty disliked me? And he always, whenever he saw me on the street, he would walk on the other side. At the Academy Awards, he saw me walking down the stairs, he'd go the other way. <laughs> why? He said, I said, why does he do that? Why? He said, Danny, are you crazy? Don't you know what you did? I said, what? We were walking into Sardi's one day. And you saw him sitting with a group of guys, and you said, you midget little motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and Marty, Marty went under the table. I said, I did that? But it's but it's possible that I did do that because I was so upset as to what he had done with me. So that's Brian Hamill's story. And we just found this out the other day. I didn't know.
1: You've started the first celebrity feud on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast.
2: I can beat the shit out of any one of them. I'm six foot three, I hit them one shot, I'll knock them on their ass. I would love to fight each one of them. Are you serious? (laughs) I'd be locked up for slaughter. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Frank, I don't mean to. We'll get all the garbage out of the way, right, Jose? You were saying... Eddie, right, baby? (laughs) I'm talking to your guys. I'm talking to your guys here. Well, I've lost control of this show. No, you haven't.
0: Officially. Now, now, (laughs) you were telling us that your children and grandchildren are just, are like every single ethnic group on yeah. the planet.
2: Well, my wife is Jewish. She's a coin. Uh, oh, well, a I'm colon, sorry. About I've been this. with her for a long yeah. time. No, okay.
0: It's
2: a good part of my life. Oh, and okay. uh, I love the mother and father who passed on. And my mother, of course, loved Sandy. She used to say, and Sandy is quite beautiful, even to this day. But when we had gotten married, she was like Lana Turner. My mother saw her and she was captured by her beauty. And, uh, We've been together for 60 years. I mean, that's a very long time. And uh, it's been hard. It's been up and down, you know, because we both have, we're both Gemini's and we have different personalities and our dispositions are quite different. But we managed to last all of these years, but it hasn't been easy. It's been very difficult. And religion being the first (laughs) thing, because I was a proud guy at the beginning, an Italian guy. And if I'm married, my kid naturally has to be Catholic. But they did something that made me think that the kid wasn't Catholic. So Sandy and I, we separated for a while, about a week. It wasn't really a separation because we both lived in the same building.
1: We separated by a few floors. 1461
2: Boston Road. She went to her mother who lived across the boat and I lived here. So we would look out the window looking for each other. It lasted about a couple of days. Then we made up with each other. It was difficult, but I had 11 grandchildren, and they are Catholics. They are Jewish. There's a mixture. Whatever they wanted, they did. No one was, you know, committed to any particular language. You know, I'm a firm believer that your environment will dictate what your children will become. I truly believe that. And I lived basically in a Jewish neighborhood at the time on Boston Road and Wilkins Avenue. So. Jewish would have been the thing because three-quarters of the people I hung out with were Jewish guys. But then as time went on, they hung out in Catholic neighborhoods, my sons, and they became Catholics because <laughs> of everyone going to church, everyone going to catechism, and they do what they do. So religion to me, uh, wasn't anything that devastated us. At the beginning, it did, because there was a sense of pride for her as well as me. We always had the argument, ah, the Jewish, now the Jewish, that goes over the women. I said, yeah, but the Catholics, it's the men. No, Jewish the women, no, Catholic, the men. That's what we're doing constantly. But, but it was great, and we went on through all of those hurdles, and uh, we made it to where we are, but still, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs, you know.
0: And, and this brings us back, I just recently watched you here at the Friars Club. You were doing a reading of uh, The Shoemaker.
2: Written by Susan Charlotte, yes.
0: Yeah, and which I thought you were terrific in.
2: Well, I, I've yeah. done it. Maybe I was good in it because I had done it on the stage. We did it uh, as a, an off-Broadway show, 27 performances. It was a limited performance, sold out every night. And it was a great, great, it was about the Holocaust and it was also about 9-11, and uh, it was very difficult for me to do the most emotional play I've ever done in my life, and at the time, my son Danny had passed away of uh, pan- pancreatic cancer. You know, Danny was one of the great stunt coordinators, and it was fifty-three. I, when he I worked away. with him. Yeah, he's a great kid. He was, he's a great kid. I'm very proud of that. And uh, so I went through a very emotional period. So the play to me, when doing a reading, it was almost as if the things I was doing on stage, I was doing at that reading. Only there was no movement. But of course the girl was great. Angelica uh Oh she's torn, the daughter Repton's and Geraldine Page's Wow. Angelica oh. Page. Angelica good, Page. Good jeans. She was sensational, frank, she was. And you know what was fascinating to me, and the Friars Club, the most you can hope for is someone doesn't ran, run every five minutes to the bathroom because I don't, I
1: don't <laughs> Well the average age here is. And be-
2: i I don't give a shit how old on it <laughs> If I'm performing, they go to the bathroom, I address it. <laughs> I said, where the hell are you going? You're not coming back in. <laughs> Am I lying, Louie? I said, you walk out, you're yeah. not coming back in. Carry off. a little bucket with your pee somewhere, but don't leave while i And no one left. No one went out of that room. And I said to them at the end of the Q&A, I said, this is unbelievable at the Friars Club where people... They're used to walking out. There's no problem. They don't apologize. They get up like they're like on the street somewhere. They're going for Coca Cola. They don't give a shit. They get up. They don't care if you're going down with the wind. It's the most serious. They get up and they walk out like nothing's happening on the stage. Surprise, but I love it. They're sitting
0: there. Yes. That's just one way to put it. And, and you were saying the reason that you wanted to play a Jew. Get even with all the goddamn Jewish
2: guys who play Vitalian. Uh,
0: F. Murray Abraham, all of them. Jimmy Conn. I'm Khan. going
2: to tell you something now. Jimmy's my boy. Oh,
0: F. Murray Abraham's an Arab. Let, me, you? let me ask yes. you
2: something. How did the stereotypical things start with Italians, characters? Let's use the Sopranos yes. and many of those. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh,
2: I never heard that language <laughs> in my life, lang- yeah. people speaking like that, okay? But let's explore it just a little bit, and I don't want to offend anyone because that's not my intention. I'm talking right. about historical facts. Yes. You ever hear Paul Muni?
0: Sure, oh, of course. Yeah, so yeah. I was a fugitive yes. from a chain gang. Okay.
2: And- Yiddish theater, okay. Paul Muni, the first Al Capone. Paul Muni, okay. The <laughs> next Al Capone, Public Enemy. Edward G. Robinson, Yiddish theater, okay. The next one, what's the next one, Louis? J- Lee, J. Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb. Yiddish yes. theater. Al Capone. Wait, let's keep going. <laughs> I gave you Edward G. Robinson. Oh yes. All of these. The formulation of stereotypical Italians began with these. There's not, listen, there were no Italians acting then, because if yeah. you had an Italian name, there was e- Equality in Ellie, a B actor who was beautiful, a Mediterranean <laughs> accent. He didn't speak like, oh, yeah, oh, none of that. But he, his way of speaking certainly wasn't interesting enough to give him a wise guy part. So the big guys that got the part were the Jewish actors, and they, and now the, the Italian guys today who are doing oh, way oh, they should check themselves out and realize that all of this was formulated as a result of the Jewish theater. <laughs> They have established wow. a way of speaking to all these morons who <laughs> say, forget about it. So I, I want to kill when they do that. I'm an <laughs> Italian who never does that in any of my movies. I don't care how creepy my character was, how much Italian, you will never hear me say, forget about it. Dumb bastards.
0: So, so the Italian actors are imitating Jews, right? <laughs> when when
2: I did Jack, when I did Ruby, the guy yes, who killed yes. uh, Oswald, I, I, Jacob I played, style, yes, yes. Right? Yes, and yep. I played him in a way where I felt what I knew about Jewish guys, and there was no real accent anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I played him the way I thought he should be played, yeah. but the point I made, I was doing it for comedic reasons. <laughs> I wanted all of them. I said it for the New York Times. I said, I want to get even with all those Jewish guys who have been doing these Italians. And that was the reason I love And I won the Academy Award, Award for something called Lieberman and Love, a Jewish guy. It was only a 35, 40 minute film, but it was a short film, but I won the Academy Award with that. Christine Lottie directed it. As a Jewish guy, <laughs> I want you to know that. I never played a
0: Puerto Rican yet. <laughs> Again, I can <laughs> never <do> say <laughs> never. So what do you think of James Caan? Uh, oh, I, lo- I love Jimmy. I love yeah.
2: Jimmy. Uh, and uh, Jimmy's great. But the thing that happened with him, the Godfather, as yes. you well know. Yes. <laughs> Godfather 1, 2, and everything. Uh, well, in 2 he was killed, wasn't he? No, he
1: pops up in 2 as a memory. He's in the
2: flashback. He pops yeah. in a memory. The part that Jimmy got, just so you know the history of it, I want to give you a little hist- historical facts for you to sure. impart it to your people that are listening. How many are listening? Your family?
1: <laughs> Just the people in this room. this whole family? Is that-
2: Eddie, any of your family are listening? All right, so we got about 15 people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Where was On I? a good night. <laughs> no. I
2: heard you're number one, kid. That's what I heard. Wow. And I'm not here because of that. I agreed to do your show before I knew you Another one, two, three, or four. Jimmy Conn yes. had a different role. Okay. The role of Sonny Corleone was being done by Kamine Caridi. I, I know yes.
0: this. Okay. Now, yeah.
2: we celebrate at the improv. I was at the improv, a non-actor at the time, trying to find my way. I didn't know what I was doing. Once in a while, I'd MC up there with Bud Friedman and gave me the job. But he recognized my talent. You were a bouncer at the improv. We should
1: point out. I was a bouncer
2: how many are you and all that crap. I didn't know it. Because I lost my job as a union president with Greyhound as a result of Walker Strike. I was the youngest president in the country at that particular time. I represented people in Montreal, New York, Chicago, everywhere. As they represent for drivers, ticket agents, porters, red caps, everything. And that's I was trying to become an actor. So I found the improv. He gave me a job as a bouncer. And I was observing. I never wanted to be a comedian or a monologist because that was beyond anything I could do. I thought I wasn't equipped to do that. But I observed, observed. Carmine used to come in. He was the only notable actor who would walk in and people would recognize as an actor. Very few actors came into the improv. Lots of comedians. Richie Pryor, just all of them, Rodney Dangerfield, all hung out. He comes in one day. Now, I used to, when the show was over, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd get up and I'd read from a book, The Godfather. And I would be impersonating Sonny Corleone. I would do the monologues that he had. Because I, myself, who was not an actor, I was trying to prove to myself I can do this part. And I could have. There's no question about it. Kamai walks in one day and says, I got the part of Sonny Corleone. He addresses it to all of us. Carmine was one of my best friends. I wanted to cry, laugh, scream, because my buddy is going to pay play the major part, because all of us knew the major part, because all of us read the book. We know what Sonny Corleone was, mercurial, sexy, everything that a star would eventually become as a result of this part. Two weeks go by, and we get a call. He hasn't got the part. And we had, all of us were in there when when he addressed it. He had the role. He got paid for the role. Everything. And they said that they changed it around, because Al became Michael. Jimmy became Sonny. And who was the other guy, Louie? Because they felt that he was too tall. He was 6'4", Carmine, to be Sonny Corleone. Now, Jimmy Con was about 5'10", much smaller. So height had a lot to do with it, and Connection had a lot to do with it. But it was the biggest heartbreak in your life that you can imagine. Not only Carmine, he, he dealt with it like a champ. He was a goddamn champ. He's my hero. I would have died. I wouldn't have run into a room for 365 days and cried my eyes out to have the possibility of a role like that given to me. It's sound. You got it. The contract is signed. It's your role, the biggest role, to have it taken away from you. He didn't cry. He didn't do anything but deal with it like, like a master, like a, like a true hero. And his career was affected by it, as you well know, because not much happened thereafter, small parts, Kama, you know, uh, and comma uh, Francis uh, Coppola, try to make up by giving him the role of uh, one of the, uh, the brothers who I played the other brother. Now isn't that strange?
1: There the were Ciristo brothers. brothers.
2: Yeah. I played one of the brothers, and he played one of the brothers. And that's what they made up, made up for, two lines in the goddamn picture. And he had Sonny Corleone. Yeah. So, and then the, one other thing about the Godfather I want you to know. Because it's like Pete Best. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's right. I mean, my guess is so sad.
2: I got a feeling that I'm, I'm terrified. I'm given a role. And I'm playing Tony Rosado. And I have to come in, and I have to choke.
1: Uh, Frankie Five
2: Frankie Angels, Frankie Five Piantangelo yeah. Mike Gazel,
1: mm-hmm. okay,
2: one of the great writers and
1: actors. Yeah, hat full of rent. So we're
2: working on and working on. We're in a bar in in Mulberry Street. And they say, all right, action, we're going to rehearse. So we start rehearsing. I walk behind him, and I had to put a garage around his neck. However, I was not choking him by the neck. We had him built in a harness that came out of the back. So it appeared as if his neck was being stretched. But actually, the force of the lift was done on his back. All the strength was on his back. I tightened the rope so it looked like it was his neck. We're rehearsing. There were no lines. And we're rehearsing the scene. I lift him, and I say, Michael he says hello. I cut now, we weren't shooting. It was a rehearsal. Francis looks at me and said, what did you say? Now, at this point, I hadn't done anything. <laughs> this is Francis Coppola. He's had every book. He's all uh, over the place. Po- he asked me what I said. Now, I'm not even sure what I said. I said, well, I, I, I think I said Francis, says, you know, Corleone says hello. Michael Corleone says hello. And he states for a minute, looks at me, and he keep it in. <laughs> line was never written you I line. developed the line that's great wasn't there and it's a big question on if you check the internet anywhere everyone asks that question where did it come from it came from me and it wasn't written but I didn't know what I was saying I had no idea I was so intimidated working with him I said it I could have said bullshit I, said, I said fuck you yeah, up your ass I could have said anything said, Michael Corleone says hello. Why did I say that? I have no idea to this What's day. the perfect line? I have He's no idea. He's sending a message. Yeah, well, some yeah. kind of
0: message. <laughs> and what are your recollections of the great comics who came in, in the improv in those days?
2: Well, Richie, of course, was great prior. There was some unknown, camp, Marvin Braverman, you know, people oh, like you yeah. would know. Again, yeah, and I, know. I did. Rodney was sensational. And Rodney was one of the biggest helpers for me when I began acting. He would go on Merv Griffin any show and he'd talk about me. No one knew who the hell I was. (laughs) He was a Danny Aiello took me to Orchard Beach the other day. We were sitting out and I walked and I was watching. His family's house was right there and I was looking out over the water and the most attractive thing I seen in that water was a floating (laughs) tire (laughs) floating by. Just, but he'd say anything. Then he'd talk about when I drove him, I said, we have to make a straight right here or a straight left. He said, I never heard things like Danny was saying. So he would promote me over and over with no outcome for him other than to do, to benefit me. And he did quite a bit. Rodney was great. Richie Pryor was sensational. I love David Brenner. May he rest in peace. David, my true friend. And I was sworn by Bud Friedman, the owner of the improv, never to put him on it prime time when he wasn't there because bud never thought of him as a comedian he just never enjoyed him now whenever bud wasn't there i would put him on a prime time (laughs) forever constantly bud never said anything i guess maybe no one told him or he felt it was all right but it was wonderful that just recently bud had mentioned to me and it was in a book also that he and david had made up before david passed away You know what I mean? Things that he didn't know about David, he expressed to me. He said, you know, Danny, I never realized that David helped so many comedians. I said, Bud, we were there. He would have talks with 20, 15 comedians, giving them ideas as to what they should do. This man used to be a producer for Sonny Fox, an old show on television. Wonderama. That's right. You got it, Frank. He was wonderful in so many ways, so bright in so many ways. came from South Philly. And the the thing about David was he invited me up to his apartment, and he has index cards in these, what are these metal cabinets? If I tell you what he did, Gilbert, you're a comedian, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever done what I'm going to tell you now? He opens the cabinet and pulls out jokes, jokes dated when he said it, The time he said it, the reaction from the audience. Okay? Have you ever heard of anything like that? He was so together in that manner. Other comedians get up, they try a joke, they remember it didn't work, they write little pens on the thing. He had index cards, hundreds of them, that he would refer to. When did I tell this joke? When was this? 8.30 at night, I did this, and the, the, the reaction to it. And he'd number the reaction. The higher the number, the bigger the reaction. This was David. I loved him. He was a great, great guy, one of my dearest, Mike Preminger, a writer. Now, your audience wouldn't know him. I honored them in my book. I mentioned 30 of them, and I've rendered a guess that the audience reading my book has not heard of any of them. But what was my concluding? I said equally talented, some of these people, unknown, but equally talented with the ones that you do know. To explain to them in my way of writing that some people don't get the breaks, others do. They have the talent. They might not be in the right place at the right time. Was that good info?
0: Oh my great. God!
1: <laughs> and you know, you know, Gilbert has a wonderful David Brenner impression. Let me hear you. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: So, uh, so I was, I was born thoughtful. You, you ever known of, uh, this? Is my favorite Brenner. Oh, right? this is him. He goes. You know how it's going. They're always bragging. How much? How many times? They can have sex in one night. <laughs> Why not, guys? Gonna finally admit that after the first time, it's like trying to hammer a nail with a fish.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's great! You honor him, babe?
1: Oh, uh, we we we're, we
0: were,
2: yeah. we were
1: looking great. forward to having him on the show. It was sad. But like I was with yeah. him.
2: Recently. I went to yeah. see him the Metropolitan. Yeah. I, I
0: saw him not long yeah. before he died, and we hugged. We nice also
2: get his haircuts at my uh, Tony Rossi's. My cousin on Fifty Seventh Street, so we would see each other there, <laughs> and we had talks. And this came as a frank as He was a state. nice man.
1: I got, I got to to work with surprise. a little bit surprised. And he, married.
2: he was going with one of the most beautiful women, Miss Tel Aviv. Do you remember her? Oh, wow. Yes. She was the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen. I had a crush on her, but I was married. There was no danger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you sang backup at the improv, didn't you, too? Yeah, for, uh, for a couple Midland. of famous people. Uh,
2: well, Bette Midline sang the backup for, along with uh, Buddy Hughes and Bobby Alto. And uh, Bobby and who? Are buddy, uh, buddy,
1: Buddy Manty. Buddy Manty is oh. my ace.
2: They would. The, that was the.
1: <laughs> we, we know Buddy. <laughs> Buddy's my ace.
2: But we were called. <laughs> what were we called, Louis? The. Uh, that, uh, come on. Uh, come come on, on, Louis. You son of a bitch. <laughs> But Buddy Hughes Buddy, was, a, was a singer, a black guy. And Bobby, of course, Buddy was, and Bobby, Bobby Alto was great. The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the Untouchables, the original Untouchables. Then Bob Pine came along. Bob's another great comedian. Yes. Bob would get up and he would ask an audience, give me a couple of lines. They'd give him the lines and he'd improv, sing me. And we would go do a do if you're Suey
1: Sure, pot. Well, he was we in was, a doo a Well, yeah, yeah, well, I'm a singing son of a uh, bitch, sure, man. I sure. want
2: you to know. Four albums, remember that. <laughs> I got my blues album coming out in about three weeks,
0: Louie? Okay. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Now, you also told me one time that it was.
2: I never t- get boring, man. I want you to know that. <laughs> I never get, but it's hard to stay at this level. It's like you. It's like you on your talking level. It's hard to, it's hard to come down. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. Kid. I love this. I love it. Frank, I love it. Oh, we love having you. Dad. I love it. You, I love it.
0: You told me at one time <laughs> that at, at, in your younger days, you loved hitting people.
1: Yeah, I was a
2: hitter. Yeah. No question about it. I used to bang them out in a minute. You know what I used to bang? I used to bang out right, right, straight hand, left. Hand. I love to do it to people who deserved it. You know what I mean? they play, you're a nice guy. You yeah. sit. You're being nice to a person. You're being nice. And then this son of a bitch suddenly turns the thing. He thinks you're, he's interpreting you as some kind of a dish rag, a meaningless person. It's those people I love to hit because when they're on the ground, they look up and they say, Why? Why did, why did you hear him? We're down at Peter Grant's place on 23rd Street. I walk in. The, a bartender comes from behind the bar. He comes and starts choking me. This is me. Danny I'm a young, vigorous, and he's choking me. I knocked him out with one shot. Now listen to this. Tony Conforti picks him up, takes him into the bathroom. Tony was my associate. He was great. Takes him into the bathroom, and the guy, his name was Larry. He said, what did I do? What, what happened? He said, Danny knocked you out. What knocked me out? Why? Why? What did I do? He said, "You were choking him." He said, "I was auditioning. I wanted him to see what an actor I was." <laughs> he
1: was trying to be one of the I am mothers.
2: telling you, it's God's
1: truth. This is what happened. It did, never happened to me again. Didn't you smack? Didn't you smack around the wrong guy at the improv one night? Doug Ireland. Doug Ireland was the. Uh,
2: he weighed about four hundred and fifty pounds. He was the mayor's pet. Now you know the woman with the big hat, Mayor Lindsay. Not, no, he was with.
1: Uh, oh, b- uh, right. oh, right, Bella, episode. Episode. Yes, Bella yes.
2: This was her, her press guy. He's sitting in there watching Cassandra dance. Do you remember her? Oh yeah. She was with high d- steel women. I yes. love because she used to get up, and she wasn't very funny. She was building. She was building. She was building. Here in the back of me, fuck, get off that fucking stage. <laughs> now I'm off duty. I'm in the front. I'm off duty. <laughs> I hear that very protective, very protective of the comics. I walk back, I said, Listen, do me a favor. Leave the kid alone. She's trying something out. Don't make any trouble. You understand? Don't do it. He said, Fuck your mother. Now, if you're going to curse someone in my family, make sure it's not my mother. In our neighborhood, in our neighborhood, we used to throw out something that gave the person, the perpetrator, a chance. What did you say? (laughs) As if you didn't hear it the first time, right? And the guy said, "Your mama." And before he got it up, I hit him with a right hand. He goes right through the table, through the table, the table. And, okay, now Bud Freeman, what are you doing? They're gonna close me. That's Mayor Lindsay's people. I said that's some bitch deserved it. He was cursing on and so forth. Bud gave me two week vacation with pay. <laughs> It never close. Monica down. fell That off. was the guy I smoked the shit out of. Who saw that? Brian Hamill said he walked in right. and saw it. Wow! <laughs> it's the only guy. there yes. was one, one other guy, Jimmy Walker. You remember Jimmy? Yes, Dynamite Walker? Jimmy was. I used to drive him home at the grand car. I know Mike. Him and Marvel yes. brought and asked yes. to drive. Him. I was yes. the only guy with a car. <laughs> I couldn't even afford gas. And I was. He was paying me 190 a week. <laughs> Three children, then four. Right. Jimmy, I used to drive home every night. There's a guy by the name of Price. That's all I'll say. He was an actor's studio, black dude. He comes up, and he's, he's, he's tearing apart verbally Jimmy. So I look at him, and I say, why don't you leave him alone, man? And he said, <laughs> listen to this. And he calls me. He says, fuck you, you white devil. He says to me, a devil. So I said something to him like, yeah, well, fuck you, too. You know, and Jimmy's standing there, right? He throws a kick at me. Obviously, he was a karate guy. Now, I remember exactly where we're standing. Now, uh, who's there? Bud Friedman's
0: there.
2: <laughs> you know the door where the, band, where the where the stage was, you walk in? Yes. Bud walks out and sees this happen. Guy throws a kick, hits my lip. Black polish on my lip. I mean, just the tip. He didn't mean that. He wanted to kick my teeth out. I parry, take the po- Beam! Goes out like a goddamn light. Bud, Bud runs out and says, get out of here, get out of here. And here's what bothers me the most. This is what bothers me. I looked at Jimmy, and I got the feeling he resented that I hit a black guy. <laughs> and you were defending him. I was defending... To this day, I love... you got to understand, I oh love Jimmy. I love him. I just got the feeling he thought because- if it was a white guy, it would have been more acceptable. But this was a black dude. He was an active studio actor. And I hit him a shot. He went, look, I japped him, man. He threw right. the kick at me. I slipped. thing. <laughs> hey. I ever tell you about the fight on the George Washington Bridge?
0: I don't think no. so. Story <laughs> we just met.
2: This is in the book.
1: I
0: shouldn't be telling them. Literally... What's the name of the book? Well, we're the book right. is Let's
2: called I book. Only Know Who I Am When I Am Somebody Else. My wife, Sandy, Stacy, and I. Are in a car. It's a big Cadillac. We're driving from Long uh, from New Jersey. Oh,
0: I think you may have told me this story.
2: We have New Jersey. I'm looking for a house out there with my yes. wife. We're driving back to the city. We come up against a car with three women and a guy driving. Pretty big guy. I couldn't tell how big, but he was dri- driving at the time. Suddenly, he's making. We're all moving to go to the Tobo to get first. He won't let me go. He just keeps moving, agitating. If I moved a little, he'd do this. You, you know, something was yeah. going on. So he's laughing and so forth. Now, Sandy knows me. He said, please, Danny, don't get out. Now, my <laughs> daughter, no, don't get out of the car. So I stay in the car, okay? The guy throws a cigarette at the window where my wife is sitting. Now I'm trying to get out of the car. She's screaming. My daughter's screaming, Daddy, please don't get out. I hold myself. Now that we push up a little bit. We go into single file wouldn't you know it that we go into double file again starting on the bridge there's a lot of traffic he pulls up next to us again container of coffee throws it on the hood of the car and takes off this is god's truth i'm saying fuck and i go after him they're screaming my wife is screaming we're racing across across the bridge racing okay He's about 20 feet in front of me, slams on the brakes in front of me. I slam on the brakes maybe five feet between us. We both get out of the car. I'm in trouble because I got a leather jacket on, you know, and I had my glasses on. I had to take them off. So as I come out, he throws a kick. I parry the kick. I hit him. I hit him right. He hits the decal of my cab and goes over on the thing. I jump on him, and I'm pum- pummeling him. He's about six three, 180 pounds, 28 years old. That's what it turns out he was. And I'm banging him and banging him and banging him. <laughs> So a guy a guy who jumps out of his car Pulls out and says Stop it, you're going to kill him You're going to kill him So I leave him there And I start walking back And I see my wife and kid We're sitting in the bridge The girls start calling my wife a whore You rich people are all the same Big Cadillac, big shit This is what they're talking Now, the Cadillac was a rented car Because I was doing knockout at the time On Broadway The rental car was Bill Sargent My producer who got me the car So we go back And we're sitting there In the middle of the bridge I'm like this, and I'm saying, Something's gonna happen here. Something's gonna say something. When we get home, I'm gonna call the police. So I go home, and we're living at 238th Street in the Bronx. I call up the transit police. They get on the phone, uh, Yeah, we had this report. uh, You know, we have a criminal uh, complaint against you. I said, Against who? Well, Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello, I said, uh, well, who, who said what? Well, they said that you assaulted them. I assaulted them, boom, boom, and so forth. So I said, how they know my name? How did you know my name? They said, well, they put it in the criminal thing. I said, how could they know my name? It was a rental car, not to my name. It was given to me, so obviously it was them thinking there was a case. Danny Aiello, I'm starring on oh, Broadway. Yeah. This is it. All right, so I had to go to court, okay? And we're in court and while we're in court, the judge is talking to me, and he says to me, uh, uh, well, first of all, before that, the women are getting up, and they're lying. I'm there to watch the witnesses because I'm the person being accused. Mm-hmm. My witnesses couldn't be there. They come in later, so no one, you know, that's what they do. So they lie, and this woman's lying, this one's not. Then he gets up. He's 28 years old, about 6'3", 6, 6'4". 6, he works on containers on the waterfront. So my lawyer is not a criminal lawyer. He's a financial advisor. <laughs> Jay Julian, he's a financial advisor. He's up there. He said, "Let me ask you something. Where do you work?" He said, "Well, I work on the waterfront. Pretty tough guys. Good shape on the waterfront, right? How old are you? Twenty-eight. What do you weigh? About one hundred eighty pounds. All right, you're going to sit there and tell me that this actor was like forty-six at the time, forty-six years old, and he's got a ten-year-old daughter sitting in the front seat with his wife, and you're telling me that he 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 caused this here problem that he said." And, and th- that was what he said. Then I come on the stage, and they're do- we're doing the same thing. I'm telling them what happened. And then I went crazy, like I'm doing here. <laughs> I said, Your Honor, can I tell you what happened? I said, he said, and then he said, are you a fighter? I said, no, I'm not a fighter. I'm starring on Broadway. I, I said, I'm a fighter, you know, in, in, as an actor. I said, uh-huh. no, I'm not a fighter. He said, but you're a tough guy. I said, no, I'm not a tough guy. I'm like <laughs> any guy that's going to protect him. So this is the, Lord, the judge, nice guy. So now I said, Your Honor, can I tell you what happened? Bing, 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 he threw a cigarette. Bing, 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 he threw a container of water. He kept getting in front of me. He insulted me. I got out. He rode. He took off. I went after him. We both got out of the car. And with these hands, I beat the shit out of him. But here's the thing, <laughs> here's the thing that's going to rock you. <laughs> Stacy is a truth teller from the word go. My daughter has never lied in her life, all right? We're in the car. I'm taking you back to the bridge. All right, listen, if something happens, we go to court, we tell the truth. All we have to tell the truth. Stacy, what'd you see? Daddy, all I saw, you were holding his hair, and you kept punching <laughs> it. <laughs> there was room for a joke. I said, Sandy, she's not going to court. She's not a woman. <laughs> that was the George Washington Bridge Oh, God. That's, son. I'm That's me, son. let me get the Run. <laughs> <laughs> huh? And the case was dismissed. Oh. It was dismissed. It was, but he was trying to sue me. That's what it was. Crazy bastards. Is there anything else you got, kid? Frankie?
1: I want to ask you about your Oscar-nominated role, Do the Right Thing, Well, and, yeah. and how Spike came to you and, and what happened. And I understand you had significant input into the character.
2: Yeah, I, I wrote most of my character. The entire speech there of uh, this is my place. I built it with my bare hands Every lock life socket every piece of tile me with these hands and he allowed that to happen it wasn't that i was some kind of a hero doing that what he did was permit his actors to put something of themselves into it now some of us were capable of writing others weren't so what the others would do was just remember tell him and he'd say yeah do it but i had extensive dialogue which i had to write before he would okay it. there was one line in particular i said these people grew up on my food and i'm proud of that and uh And it was one of the most quoted lines, right, Louis? It was one of the most quoted lines, New York Times. And I truly believe that line got me an Academy Award nomination. But when I said that, I looked at when we were about to shoot it, I said, is that corny, Spike? That sounds corny. They grew up on my food. Pizza? You know. He said, no, keep it in. So it was as if he wrote it. You know what I'm saying? It's
1: a hell of a performance. And,
2: And just keep in mind that anything that I put there in writing, ultimately the decision as to what will go in is made by him. So for all intents and purposes, you could say that he wrote it. You know what I mean? Because we both agreed on it. Ultimately, the last word is the director. I always said to him, look, we'll try this. Let's try this. If you don't like it, we drop it. That's it. But let me throw it up in the air and see what you want. And I love doing that. It's a cooperative, you know, and a collaborative effort. And Spike was like that. I didn't want to do the movie because he sent me the script. I was in Canada preparing for The Last Dawn, I think it was, and uh, which was a big movie. Piece of shit, but a big movie. <laughs> Maybe a million and a half dollars.
1: That's a a, a poozo thing. It
2: It made me a million and a half dollars in 12
1: days. Good for you. So I got away with it.
2: So I went out there. He sends a script to me, and I don't get the script. He calls me up in Toronto and he says, Danny, did you get the script? And by that time, I had received a call from the border. He didn't have enough postage on it, so it couldn't go past the border to me. I said, You cheap fuck. You didn't put enough goddamn stamps on the thing. I read it. I opened it up. First time I'm reading it. Pizza guy. Now, you got to understand. I told you about forget about all that shit. We're talking about stereotyping, yeah. I pictured me with a big fucking hat on my head, twirling fucking pizza. (laughs) I called him up. I said, this ain't me. I said, you know what? This is tantamount to watermelon, man. If I was offering you, I said, Spike, if I offered you a fucking part in my movie and said watermelons are involved, what the fuck would you do? He took, when we got back to New York, he took me to the Nick games. He took me to the Yankee games. Not that I needed that because my nephew is Michael Kay. He's the Yankee uh, announcer, my sister Rosebud's kid. But he took me all of those places and then he made changes and said, You can make significant changes with my, you know, my final say. I said, All right, let's do it. And that was it. The biggest thing was getting the Academy Award. I thought it was a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you why. Because I did Fort Apache the Bronx and all we showed in Fort Apache the Bronx were bad things in the neighborhood. Another Drugs, good one. everything, rose everything bad. And that was bad because the neighborhood was very upset. There were riots as a result because we're showing an element in the movie that wasn't the whole neighborhood, but it was the bad element. Now what he did, he beautified it. He made that street look beautiful. He made the guys never have a curse word. No drugs involved. They were all in their own heads. And I used to say, this is a fairy tale. This isn't real. This is bullshit. But I also told him that. But then I realized what Spike was doing. Spike wanted race to be dealt with, not under the influence of drugs. You know what I mean? Not you being a drug addict and calling him a black bastard. Or not you saying you wiped (laughs) any... That's not it. They were all in their own head. Drugs were not involved, and they were saying how they felt, sober. And that was the point he was trying to make. Sure, I call it a fairy tale the same way I call Godfather. Fairy tale. It's not real. I mean, wise guys don't talk like that. They sound like Shakespeare. I mean, some of the guys sound very Shakespearean, and they didn't sound like the characters that I've grown up seeing and hearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's that's the, the talk that I had with him. And then it took me a little while... To say, all right, I understand what he did. And then of course I get the Academy Award nomination. And at the beginning I wasn't a favorite, and then I became the guy. I was the favorite to win. Everyone thought I was gonna win. Everybody, every newscaster, Eber you should win, you should have been best actor. And then she gets on the stage, Gina Davison and said, and the winner is at least it started with a D. <laughs> I got a slight heart, I have one <laughs> Excuse my lamp, but it was Denzel Washington. Right. And, and a, tribute, a tribute to Denzel. Denzel was uh, questioned by a reporter after the event. And the first thing the reporter said, did you feel you were going to win? And what he said, his response made me feel pretty good. He said, I thought Danny Aiello was going to win. That meant a lot to me. That's but nice. I, I promise you, Frank and Gilbert, I promise you, I didn't go there thinking I was going to win. I haven't been that lucky in my life. A lot of shit that I've earned in my life, I earned. I didn't have connections when I did parts. The parts that I won awards for were parts that anyone could have done. I mean, I didn't get the major, you know, the MGM, Warner Brothers, uh, all, all the huge, goddamn. I didn't get a huge studio guy behind me. I slipped in there. Something happened, you know? Godfather. I mean, this thing, do the right thing. Bobby was asked to do it. He refused. He suggested somebody else, and I was like the third or fourth choice. And then they say the reason that the thing won the stuff that it won was because of Danny. I don't say that's true, but I do say to you that I never had the break. With Marty Scorsese working with all the things, that's why I'm down on him so much, not to allow me to be a part of a painting that he's stroking, you know, to Mm -hmm. be a part of what he is doing. Personally, I told you what I feel about him. But creatively, the man is a great director. How could I say anything else?
1: Well, you're sitting at the Academy Awards, does it occur to you at any point, this is a long way from the MTA?
2: When you read my book, you're gonna see, the interesting opening to my book is, here I am, writing my book, with a satellite 18,000 miles above me, guiding my car. And I'm reading, and who am I doing the book with? Siri. (laughs) I wrote the whole fucking book with Siri. Of course, she missed both a lot of words. She didn't know what I was
0: saying. But, you know,
2: I mean, she does miss a lot. And I don't particularly like her accent. But the bitch was with me for the whole goddamn book. But what I'm saying, remember, I started out as a kid, kerosene lamps in my house, coal stoves, keeping the house warm. Okay, we lived in railroad flats on West 68th Street. The way, unfortunately, a lot of people still are living today. No father. My mother legally blind later in life, not at that particular time. Sick kid. Sick. Celiac. I had also eczema. I was hospitalized constantly, was left back in school, demanded to be sat in the back because when they sit me in the front, I was a little skinny kid, and people made fun of me. When I sat, I don't want to say this because all these people saying, oh, you're brutalized in this. In a way, I was verbally done. You know, I was always a tough kid, but when it came to my diseases, I would rip myself apart. Mama had to put gloves on me to go to sleep at night, or socks on my hands, because I would rip gouges in me because of eczema. I would sit in the front, and I always had the feeling that they were all laughing in back of me, that they were making, you know, look at him, he's so disgusting. So that's what I grew up with. But... Sports saved my life because I was an outstanding ball player. So when I played ball, stick ball, whatever the fuck it was in the street, I kicked ass. I don't even shit how sick I was. But when I played ball, all of that was undressed, wasn't even there. But the moment the sport was over, I went home, gloves on my hands, mm-hmm. and all that shit come back to me. To this day, I got hit with it again, Louis, right? I got an attack of it just recently. But fortunately, you don't scratch as much. But
1: your story is inspiring. I mean, look what you came from. I love people
2: to be inspired by it because uh, I was a baggage man at Greyhound. And... uh,
1: I've heard you do the bus reads, the station. May I
2: have your attention, please? A platform of three, a coach for Philadelphia, Chester, Wilmington, Sova, Seaford, Lawler, Salisbury, Princess Anne, Pocomoke City, Kipta Peach, Little Creek, and Norfolk. This coach connects in Jersey City for Newark, Mount Clare, Denville, Dover, Bud Lake, Hackettstown, Stroudsburg, Mount Pocono, Toby, Hannah, Scranton, Wilkesbury, Clark, Summit, Nicholson, Halstead, Great Bend, Binghamton, Cortland, Ithaca, Geneva, Canandaigua, Pittston, Tawanda, Waverley, Elmira, Corning, Bath, Batavia, Hornell, Mount Morris, and Buffalo.
1: That's incredible
0: That, that to me was. <laughs> well, I, oh,
2: Tell him Am I reading
1: anything?
0: No <laughs> Nothing, nothing at all, no, That was all by heart <laughs> All by heart On the top man, of son your Son of a
2: bitch I'm getting I'm jumping out The goddamn window After that
0: <laughs> That mm. was amazing That yeah, is. it
2: is it's, That I, happened to be David uh, Well The big guy On the Today Show Letterman's favorite bit Whenever I go on the show, he asks me to do that. I hate
0: to repeat it, but he loves <laughs> it's to hear it. It's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what do you remember about working with Paul Newman?
2: Oh, what a great guy. What a great man. When I'm shooting, I was relatively new then, and I was intimidated. The fact, I didn't show it, but he I went to my camper, because I lived in a building where I threw the kid off.
1: You, we uh, should tell the, people you played a racist cop I played a racist Patchy. cop,
2: and Martin, and... Uh, did a lot for, for my career fought Fort Apache, the Bronx. And Paul Newman was the star mm-hmm. of it. Kenny Wall played, uh, the young,
1: uh, Ed Asner's in it. Ed Asner a terrific was picture. Yeah.
2: Picture was really good. Sully Boyer. I don't know if you remember Sully Boyer. He's an act. He come from active studio. He's a great guy.
1: Paul Gleason. I did a, I did a sitcom with Paul friend. in LA. I love Paul, yeah.
2: but Newman, I'm sure we don't even know each other. We had a lot of scenes together and, uh, I'm shooting a scene and he's off camera. I'm on. So the scene involves Paul and I, but at one time it's my close. So he's expected to sit there and do lines with me. While I'm doing lines, he's sticking his finger in his nose. <laughs> he's doing this. He's doing this, picking <laughs> shit with his mouth, doing all crazy things. So naturally, when we reverse the camera, he developed for me a pair of balls. So well, I did the same thing to him. I <laughs> stick and, but he was such a great guy, ate a lot of popcorn, was a beer drinker. We used to go out to Fort Moreau quite a bit, the Italian neighborhood, and eat at Angelo's up there. And what's fascinated me about Paul, I really think he had eczema like I did or something similar because I went into the camper once and I saw him, which I've never done in life and I thought I was going to recently do it. He puts his face in ice water. Because he used to get the red blotches, and I, used to, I never asked him that question. Fascinating. But he used to put his face on ice water. And I remember that vividly, and I remember the popcorn, which I love, beer, which I don't drink. You know, I don't drink anything, but no drugs. I'm going to tell you something. Let me see how you buy this, you too. Okay. <laughs> you know how many parts I lost in movies because of drugs? I never did them. you hear what I'm saying yeah. to you? You understand what I'm saying to you? Draw your own conclusions. I never did drugs in my life, not pot, not heroin, not cocaine, nothing. And I'll tell you why. A Spanish friend of mine, Bay Domini, a great artist, a kid at the age of 16, died of an overdose. I didn't know what the fucking overdose of drugs was. Heroin. The suspicion I got, I used to go to his house. We lived in the same building. You ready for this? Every time I went, another piece of furniture was gone. Drapes were gone. I didn't know what was happening. He was unloading his house. He was buying, selling his mother's entire apartment piece by piece to support his drugs. Soon after that, he dies. I was so crippled by that that it stayed with me all my life. So it wasn't that I'm so pure. I had a tremendous fright of what that shit can do to you. Because I give an example. You don't have to be a sick fuck to play a sick fuck. (coughs) Understand? What I'm, listen, what I'm saying to you. If you're going to play a sick fuck, too many of our kids think you got to get. What out. You got to drink. No, acting I, is about fucking imagination.
1: So you were never, you were never a method guy.
2: Never. Well, right. I'm a method guy. Yeah, method, which st- stuff that method does not mean you got to use the shit that's right. being used for that character. You can use a reasonable okay. se- facsimile. Facsimile. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I used Powder and Hurley Burley, which won me the Best Actor Award. Me and Sean Penn were in it. In California, I got it for a drug addict, a crazy bastard. And if you saw pictures of me in that, you would have thought I was stoned. I'm saying to you. You can do that without being assisted by drugs. And it kills me. Jimmy Hayden. Jimmy Hayden was a kid who played in, uh, in Sergio Leone's movie.
1: Uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in America. Good-looking
2: kid, right? Good looking. He used to come visit me when I was doing Knockout on Broadway. Great kid. I study in acting. I meet him in Rome while he's doing a movie because I'm doing a movie with him. I come back. He dies of an overdose. You know when I see him being carried out in a rubber bag? This is Jimmy, a wonderful kid drugs He was a drug and that day he was without Pacino on Broadway doing what was it Buffalo? Yeah, American, American, American Buffalo. Buffalo and they gave him a standing ovation that night when he got off the stage and he goes back to his house and he dies. Seymour Hopman, great fucking actor. And I'm sure he was using then. He didn't have to use because the guy's brilliant. You don't have to use to be act ex- to be great. You don't have to rip off your fucking hair like go to be a great painter. He just happened to rip his fucking ear off, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to. And I plead with people, you don't. And I say to kids, what bothers me about trying to kill drugs is that they generally get people who are drug addicts to come in and talk to the kids. Now any kid would sense would say, well, shit, this guy is a star in the New York Jets. He would did drugs and he'd kick it. I'm going to try drugs and kick it like he did. I think the guys that should be teaching or instructing are guys who never did drugs, who became famous in certain fields, as ball players, as actors. That's it. That's how I feel about that shit. But I hate drugs. But that's my character.
0: Does he look like oh, a guy who you. never used yes. drugs? Yes,
1: we're looking at a picture of Danny and I want and best and to actor for
0: drama. Wow. LA. I I remember working That's with your impressive. sons on some horrible TV show, right? Yeah. And and one of your they were both stuntmen.
2: No, Ricky was an actor, but they both both worked as stunts. Yeah. Danny and used to get work for Ricky. And
0: one of them, he was like like six four and barrel chested, yeah. and he was my stuntman. That's right. You Ricky. had to believe. You had to believe. All of a sudden, I hey. grew enormous. <laughs> I was this giant Italian guy. Right. Oh God. But I remember them saying to me that when they would come home at night, you used to say to them, get over here. Get yeah, over here. Yeah, I, I want to smell your breath.
2: Yeah, I, I used to do that a lot in my house. I, I had terrible memory. My son who died. If I I used to worry about him. He was, so, he was such a, a weak child. He was just a beautiful, little, blonde-headed kid. Never got in trouble. And I knew... We went to church one day, and I stopped going to church as a result. We're sitting in the front pew. The incense comes out. Then he passes out. I thought he died in my arms. I never saw my kid pass out, and he faded. I run out of the church with my screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm running down Southern Boulevard under the L. That's where we lived then, near Stebbins Avenue. And I'm screaming, my son, my son, and he comes about. And then I'm there when he actually dies and it reminded me of the time he didn't, but I knew that day when he came about and came you know, fresh and he didn't die, I knew that I had to watch him for the rest of my life. I just knew it. Every time he was doing something, when he was doing a stunt, I would be in terrible pain. He'd jump off a roof, glide something on a cable, maybe 18 floors up. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. Ricky never did those things. Ricky would get in the car. Danny would give him easy jobs. But Rick, but Danny was a coordinator. You had to do everything. But he started as a stuntman, meaning you did everything. Then, of course, he coordinated and he assigned people the work. And he he always was, he used to say things like, Dad, we're not, we're not daredevils. We're not kamikazes. We're stunt people. We plan. We're careful. You know what I mean? He took great pride in no one getting hurt when he was with him. And this happened because Vic McNada, who did Fort Apache, to Bronx, was Danny's mentor. He taught him everything from, that's when Danny first started, Fort Apache, the Bronx. And Vic McNada, who was the sun coordinator, did the next movie. I think it was with, I can't remember his name. He went off the, uh, the pier at 40-something Street, into the water. Someone else was supposed to do the stunt. He didn't show up. He did it. Windshield came back, broke his neck. He died. And then he was in the water with the other water people, just standing there, you know. So I, I figure after that happened, they all seemed to be more careful with what they were doing, you know. It's terrible. Vic McNaught, a great guy. I love them too. So many people passed, man. So many good people. But I don't want to get off on the dime. We got to do something <laughs> up. Well, we gotta do
0: something up. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Well, you said your son would do a lot of your stun work. Yeah, you well,
2: we're at 57, so we're doing Hudson Hawk, your favorite movie. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You
1: know, there's a there's a great scene in that movie when you guys are doing. The, I don't want to interrupt oh, here. When God. you guys are committing the heist and you're both singing "Swinging oh, on a shit, Star," I'm it's that a dog. great it's a great scene. Are you
2: kidding? I'm knocking. What oh, would
1: you rather swing on a star? The, the, Gary the, the movie has great moments. Too. It yeah.
2: has great moments, and I, like I told you, it's a cult hit. Fifty Seventh Street, Fifty Seventh Street, Thirty Nine Flights Up. Where they're about. Danny and uh, and Bruce's stuntman. Uh, going across a cable. Cable might have been about 30 feet long. They had to go from one building to the next. Below them, I don't know many streets were below, but some asshole asked me to sit across, stand across the street and watch. I could never watch, but I'm standing in a doorway, and I'm looking up, and I'm watching my son with the other kid going, and suddenly, the cable goes like this. Now, little did I know that that was the plan. They had the cable drop. So, to give the audience a, another sort of thrill, but of course I didn't know it was going to drop. I thought they were just going to go across, and I was up with the cable dropped. Boom. And then, re, you know, reinstituted itself, and it was solid, and they went across the other side. It was then that I said, I will never watch him do a stunt. I used to say, Danny, don't do this shit. Danny, don't do that. He said, Dad, someone's going to do it. What about, what about me? Who's going to, someone's not, someone, this is what I do. This is what I do, Dad. And I couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. Could not deal with it. It's a hard thing for a father to say. It's like a father watching a fighter, his son. Some of them, they got balls like I've never seen before. They watch them, <laughs> their eyes ripped open. And I'm saying, how do they do that? Of course, you know, Ricky, I don't know if you know, that was a top fighter. Ricky, 21 fight, 17 knockouts. They were all after Rick to go pro. You know who was after him? Don. Don was after him like crazy. But Ricky, fortunately, I hate to say, got a pinched nerve in the back of his neck, had to be operated on. He was a great left hooker. See, in my house, I don't know if you guys would dig this or understand, but I used to measure my kids. And we, li- we lived in the projects. We lived in the projects at 228th Street, to Marble Hill Projects. This is before I became an actor. So Ricky would be, he was the oldest one. Now he's about six years old. I would paint a picture of where he was, you know, a, a line of his height, okay? So as we went on, it went a little higher and a little higher. But you know what I did? That room was the kitchen, dining room, and the family room, all connected. But this one wall, this one thing was where I measured them and where he learned to throw a left hook. Now, you got to know how to throw a left hook. I mean, a left hook is not a fairy punch. Your whole body, it, you, when you hit a guy with a left hook, you're hitting with your ass, everything. Oh, bam! You, you see this? You see your hands? Watch your hands. You see your hand? right hand, so you see You see that punch coming. You don't see left... Bam! Like that. Ricky, from 6 to 12...
1: He had a great His hook.
2: Throw, he used to shake the five-story building. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I wish we had video.
0: That's, That's how seat hard, seat
2: hard he hit. left hooker. I was crazy over left hooks.
0: Now I have to ask you something that just popped my head in my mind. Is this me?
2: Mouth. Thanks, buddy. Yeah.
0: I remember one time my sister, who's a photographer, took your picture, and you said to her, "You've got that urge, that Jewish urge." Did I say yes? That? Yes. What is the what is that Jewish? It urge? might have been something I learned from my wife,
2: because my wife has a lot of urges and she's Jewish. Could that have been it? I can't picture myself saying that. I really can't. But it might have been something I'm reflecting, uh, you know, from my wife. Sandy has urges you haven't seen.
1: Can I ask you about my fiance's favorite movie about yeah. Moonstruck? Yeah, Moonstruck. You're, you're so funny in it. Johnny Camerreri. Piece of shit. You didn't like that one either.
2: When I did that, I was ashamed. I was ashamed to let my mother see. Are you serious? I played a major wimp in that
1: movie. But you're so funny.
2: I looked at uh, at the director Norman Jewison. I said, Norman, this is the worst. He said, Are you kidding? It's the best. I said, Norman, please, I don't even want to see this movie. But I must admit that it did did everything for me.
1: Well. I always laugh at the fact that there's hardly any Italians in the you, film I know, that's true <laughs> Russian actor
2: she written, was, and that was a Greek accent Olympia Re- Dukakis Re- never stole Greek Italian actor, to me written, yeah.
1: by a, written by an Irishman that's and right. directed by a Jewish that's dude right. from Canada that's <laughs> right.
2: Norman Jewison Norman Jewison. great director
1: but, it's got, but you're, the, you're Italian yeah, yeah. and Nick, uh, Nick Cage is Vincent, Italian uh, and, and the great Vincent Well, no, Vincent
2: said to me one day, my first movie, a baseball movie I'm doing Bang the Drum Slowly great Eddie, so we you love guys gotta movie. hear this, you gotta hear this kid I'm in the corner. I don't know about acting. What do I know? I'm, I never studied. That's your first movie? Yeah, first. yeah. I never yeah. went to a instructor. I never went to acting studio, none of this shit. I had no idea. I'm sitting in the corner. I had a couple of lines, maybe three lines. Vinny walks over and says, What's the matter, kid? What's wrong? Something wrong? I said, Well, Mr. Gardini, you know, my problem is uh, this is my first movie. And, you know, I have a few lines, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure how I want to say them. You know, I know that if I do this and I do it the way I'm thinking, it's going to be on the screen now. If I see the movie 50 times, if I suck, I'm going to suck 50 times. I said, so it it frightens me. So he looks at me and he says, don't worry, kid. You're probably never going to work again anyway. That's true. I swear to almighty God. That's fantastic. Benny is up there
0: looking down. Louis, did he say that? Yeah, that was, and that was Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Michael Moriarty
2: he played the catcher that threw like this.
0: Yes. Like
2: his goddamn elbow was tied to his side. <laughs> who do you think was teaching him how to catch balls in the third? Me and Tommy Signorelli. We used to spend hours trying, he was thrown like this.
0: <laughs> like his,
2: the, the painter's kid. What the hell is that? You grew up in New York and you're like that. Uh, <laughs> someone had a tremendous influence on him. I don't know who it was, but it now, certainly you, wasn't a baseball player.
0: Now, you said that You hate the way Italian families are played in movies where they're constantly cursing.
2: Yeah, well, when I saw The Sopranos, I looked at one episode and, look, The Sopranos did well. A lot of my friends were there who had nothing but extra roles all their lives and pictures. And suddenly it came about that they became recognizable characters and they made a lot of money and I was happy for them, for many of them. It's just, and that's not their fault. We depict characters. We We get paid to play them. And I understand people play the way David Price or whatever the hell his name is. David, uh, what is it, the director? I forget, Chase. Mm-hmm. What, what bothered me is a kid comes in, he's smoking dope in front of his father and mother. That's something we don't need I, because that's not true. Now, it may very well be true today. In modern society, a kid can smoke pot. Maybe the mother's doing it with him. I don't know. But I lived in the dirtiest of neighborhoods. I lived in neighborhoods where people couldn't pay the rent. When we couldn't pay the rent, we moved to another place that would accept a few dollars for us to go in. You understand? In one month, I moved 13 times from Stebbins Avenue to Boston Road. We were poor. We had shit. But the one thing we never did was disrespect anyone. Now, I didn't have a father. My mother was there. Smoking dope, saying hell in front of my mother? Doesn't happen. Now, you may think I'm a dinosaur. I wish there were more like me. Because it drives me friggin' crazy when I see the shit that they're showing on television. I'm sitting there dating naked. Why don't this president wake his ass up and say, stop this shit? Stop this garbage on television. I'm talking garbage. People naked? Dating naked? What is this? What the hell have we come to? Date- Why do you think Arabs hate us,
1: man? Gilbert, there goes your shot at dating naked.
2: Why do you think naked? do you think they hate us? They hate us because of our style of living and what we're watching. They don't want their families to watch that shit. They- Look, they have ways that they believe in, religious or what have. Look, fuck terrorists. I know that. I'm talking about people, people. They don't want this shit in their home. We're in our home. We sit down. I'm watching someone naked on the goddamn screen of my grandchild. It's all bullshit. It's crazy. But I think the president should come out and say, stop all this shit. Stop it. Call it what you will, but stop what this is, what's happening.
1: Sorry. That's all right, buddy. You love that cover? I, I do. That's a major Can cover. We, real quick, before we, we, before we wrap it up, Gilbert and I are JFK assassination buffs. Can we ask you a little bit about Ruby?
2: Yeah, well, my opinion differs from the movie itself, but yeah, you sure
1: you can. I mean, what, what, what kind of research did you do? To, to, what did you learn about Jack it's Ruby? It's interesting,
2: the, that question, because it usually brings about not a satisfying answer. Uh, Milton Berle and Jerry Vale gave me all I had to know. Really? I want to know about Ruby. So Milton said to me, he used to have shirts in the back of his car, silk shirts. Jerry, Jerry Vale backed him up on it at a different time. He would give them shirts because they performed. They went to his place.
1: At the Carousel Club? Yeah,
2: and the women loved him. The women that worked for him loved him. Okay, That's what I wanted to know about the guy. Now, Roger Ebert said, Danny, terrific, but he was too nice a guy to play him. Now, keep in mind, I really played him with Jewish prayers, prayers prayers for the death. Now, uh, John McKenzie, who directed it, Pulled out the prayer I said at gravesite, which upset me tremendously because Ruby loved JFK, loved them, sat shiver with his sister. He was not married, and his sister wasn't either. Sitting on milk boxes in her apartment, sitting shiver for the man they thought was the greatest for Jewish people. They thought that he was the savior of the Jewish people. Okay, I gave you that scenario, okay? I found out how much the women loved him and how much he loved working for the women. But remember, it's a shit business. It's a garbage can business. Wise guys come there, just like wise guys came to Cafe Columbus,
0: right? Kid? Yes, yes, I remember <laughs> that All right, place.
2: Chuck Rose comes over to me one day, DEA chief, he comes over to me and says, Danny, I'm not the only one in here tonight carrying a gun. <laughs> Every wise guy in the world was there. Just like all of a sudden these asshole writers are putting things out like, like this Ruby's place was any different than any other place. Here's what I got. He acted alone. I'm talking about Oswald. I'll never believe anything different, but I have no information other than my feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, He acted alone, I believe. And I also believe in the, uh, the, the final result that the Warren Commission came down with. I don't think it was a prejudiced group of people. They were both Republicans and Democrats making that decision after having all the information in front of them. They came down with it. The only thing that happened is we started to get the revisionists. We started again i won't name them to give them any glory the assholes who said oh this happened this happened there are always those conspiracy guys i'm not saying you're not one of them you might be no, but you I didn't used write to, a book
1: I, I used to be but i okay, changed okay but my mind. you didn't
2: write a book there were other guys who made a living their whole life became that well, it was a cottage industry right well i can understand that i'm not saying well, but what is his div-
0: name that director yeah. Oliver stone Oliver stone
2: <laughs> o- Oliver stone when that said his story was true at least we said that there are things in it that are true and there are, fa- and there are things that are not true. And if, you do a, if you're doing a factual account of something, but you enter into that factual account some untruths, then the whole thing is not true. you follow what I mean? Yes. You cannot use facts and then enhance those I'm also. not going to fight you. Well, no, you can't embellish facts. <laughs> you can't embellish facts with untruths. See, you what, can't do what it. The audience he said his thing was true. His is true. That's what
0: what the audience fun. doesn't see? Is how many times Danny has hit me. <laughs> <laughs> They're all love taps. That's why we're not on <laughs> They're all love taps. What is that, Louie? Now, can oh. you please tell us the name of your book? It's called <laughs> I
2: Only Know Who I Am When I Am Somebody Else. The book will be out October 7th at Simon & Schuster Gallery Books. May I say it's a hot book. You know something? If it doesn't sell one, I wrote the book that I wanted to write. I said the things I wanted to say. The wonderful thing is I I had trouble. There was great difficulty, and the difficulty is remembering. Now, you can remember 10 years, 20 years. I was asked to remember my first Christmas that I remember having a tree. I was six years old. So I went to sleep at night thinking, what am I going to remember when I was six? Something popped. Then something else popped. Then something else popped. And before you know it, I was six years old. I was remembering things that happened in my life when I was six years old. The first Christmas, we, my sister Helen went out and robbed a tree. That's the first time we had. She robbed a tree. We didn't know it. There were trees on the street, okay? <laughs> you, know what, you know what we decorated our trees with? I'm going to pass this on why? to you. Bottle caps, painted bottle caps with shoestrings tied to it, okay? Oh, you
1: made your own t- okay, garland.
2: Okay, now let me tell you what else. You know, you know these socks that you yes. have? You know what socks we use? Worn why? socks that we wore put candies in them. That's what my mother did. Okay? These are the things that we use to decorate a tree. It looked more like a Hanukkah bush than a tree because <laughs> Hanukkah bushes, who, who know, with things to come, you know, I married a Jewish woman it's more appropriate. But I'm, I'm just saying uh, some of the things I remember, but I'll say this, Frank, in closing. It is the most difficult thing I would have ever done in my life. It is... It damn near assassinated me. The the emotion, the emotion emotional level that you're on and you can't get off. because course, when you go to sleep, you figure, I'm going to go to sleep. And then you sleep and you wake up a half hour later with an idea. And you don't want to just write it down because I'm not that way. I'll write it down, do it in the morning. I have to cover it then. Right then I have to do it. This went on for 91,000 words. 93,000 words. God bless you. It's been reduced to that. It's been reduced somewhat because of all the editing, which I did much of it. 350 pages now, right, Louis, which is fine. And uh, pictures, you know, some. I I didn't care about the pictures. But there's something I want to tell you. I want to see how both you and Frank think about this, And, and your wife, of course. Paul Mazursky was a dear friend of mine who just recently passed away. I hoped that Paul was going to write the foreword for my book. Sadly, he died. So I decided not to have one. Okay? Now, remember, foreword is people complimenting you. I didn't need any of that shit. You know, I went through life without compliments and with some. So I didn't need that. But that's all that's there. That and a picture that he sent to me, big picture of him there, me here, and it said, to Danny, who loves you? Paul Mazursky. And after I put in what I put in on the bottom, it says, to Paul,
0: who loves you? Danny Ayo. That's the foreword. And that's, what's the name of the book one more time? I only know
2: who I am when I am somebody else. And just to cap that, I don't know who the hell I am. I don't even
0: know.
1: Who the <laughs> you have any? Do you have any music coming up? To anything oh, yeah, we should well, know about? Because yeah. you're also a singer. Well, I'm a badass singer, man. <laughs> badass I want to know dudes. that you've sung with the Boston Pops. Some with Boston
2: Pops, but we have. Two, I wish the hell we had the music to show. If they let them here, but uh, we have. Uh, uh, we have something called blues. Now it's called. The title of my book is called. I only know who I am when I am somebody else. That's the title of the song. And the other song is a video which I've done called It's About Age. It's about forgetfulness. It's about no memory. It's called This River, where a man has nothing and he goes and he sits by the river and he drinks and he remembers what he was and what he's turning out to be. The video is sensational. Forget about me doing it. It's sensational. We're gonna send it to you, Frank. Okay, so great you can see
1: it. Thank you. Anyway,
2: so are you finished?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Career-wise, a yes.
2: Eddie's falling asleep. In case they know I'm not hitting you, I'm hitting the table. That's approval. Approval. Gilbert, it was wonderful being here with you. Thank I you. I love King. you, and I did it because I want to do it with you and Frank. And My pleasure, Frank, Dan. You're a gent. Thanks, we Jose. It. It's good working with you and Eddie, the best, your beautiful wife. Danny really. Aiello.
0: I, I, Danny, I... I I could do a mini-series with no. you. We'll just <laughs> we could talk for
1: 18 hours,
2: let yes, me tell you.
0: This, Maybe this.
1: you'll come back and talk about working with Woody Allen and some yes, others I'll other I'll do all things. that shit. I won't be so talkative. I'll get
0: <laughs> all right.
2: But this you know, was caught, one of those
0: easy uh, You caught me,
2: you. me at a time when I was a little
1: emotional. This is know, podcast yeah. verite. Yeah, no, but you can do what no, you no, want. This is great, yeah.
0: Well, this has been the great Danny Ayala. And uh, who I forgot to say at the beginning of this show, and this is uh, and Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks to Lou.
2: Can I can I say can I say two pictures? of me mentioned That you have to. Okay. Uh oh. 29th ninth Street, which is my life. Got it written plate. down. Buddy. See that movie and see Once Around. With me and Jenna Rollins and uh, Holly Hunter. Richard Dryden. See those two movies. And Richard was
0: sensational. George Gallo. See those two. George 29th Road. Street. I love yeah. it. See, What's now mean? once again, he grabbed my shoulder. <laughs> 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 and he says, is this okay? I love it. Go, next God. time
1: we'll talk about 29th Street. Okay.
0: <laughs> this has been the Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. Here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. And uh, having a great time with Danny Hayala. <laughs> <laughs>